Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Paul Zeidman, my trusty co-host, Justin Sloan, unfortunately unable to make it today, so you get just me, but I'm still more than happy to talk to our special guest, Jennifer Manicharian. Now, this is, this is I love this, this is a, a laundry list of uh, uh, <laughs> information about pre previous jobs, I guess. Family therapist, divorce mediator, Broadway and off-Broadway producer, that, that's got some stories in it, I'm sure. Musical book writer, screenwriter, we love to hear that. Producer, screenwriting teacher. I also love to hear that. So Jennifer, the first thing I have to ask you is you do sleep, right? Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I passed out and then I'm restored and then I begin all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it seems like you wake up and say, what am I going to work on today? No, I don't have to. I very rarely ask myself that question because I know what I want to work on. Okay, that makes plenty of sense. Uh, so as regular listeners and viewers of the show know that we always start out talking about uh, something we've read or watched lately. I'll give you time to think about that. Uh, I just finished uh, watching The Holdovers uh, with a fantastic oh. job by Paul Giamatti. I loved it. Uh, I could see why there's so much talk about him uh, definitely being nominated for Best Actor for the Academy Awards. And I would not be surprised if he won, but I still have to watch Maestro because I want to see what the all the hoopla is about Bradley Cooper. And I did see Oppenheimer, so I could see Cillian Murphy getting it too. But so far, based on from what I've seen, I have to give it to Paul Giamatti. I think he just did a fantastic job. He really carries that movie. Well, I will argue with that a little. Okay. I, I saw it. I loved it. But I think the three of them carry it. I mean, it's an ensemble in a way. I mean, and and I I think the acting is extraordinary. I mean, it's a sad movie. I mean, these are sad people, yeah. but it's it's also hopeful. And the young guy who's in it, um, they found him. I I mean, I googled it after watching it. They they had gone to the school where they wanted to film it, and they had auditioned some of these kids, and that's how they found him. And now he's at Carnegie Mellon. Oh, which you must know about. <laughs> I, I am familiar with that school. Yes. Right. And getting his getting his, uh, you know, getting really, you know, his technique down, which is amazing because he really was such an instinctual performance. Mm -hmm. it was but I loved it. Oh, good. Good. And how about I you, did... Jennifer? Uh, anything you've read or watched lately? Well, actually, um, I've been watching movies because before the all the awards, I'm always curious to see all of them. And there's a lot I've liked, but I just was, it was on, I think, 60 Minutes. This I don't know where I read it, heard about it, but there's a documentary called uh, Beyond Utopia, which is about a South Korean, uh, a Northern Korean family that is trying to escape to South Korea. And it's a fascinating film. I mean, a lot, I mean, it's really tells you about life in North Korea and uh, what it takes to, you know, the incredible risks that are involved. It's, I mean, I, it's the kind of thing I, the, that I really enjoy. I mean, some of the, some of the footage that's done by iPhone and these people in the tunnels and stuff, you know, it's hard to get a sense of it, but most of it isn't done that way. A lot of it's people talking about what happened. Right. So I would recommend that to anybody who likes really, to get a, a clear sense of the bizarre country that North Korea is. Now, where, where can people see that? Is it on streaming or is it uh, in the theaters? I, no, it's streaming. I think I got it on Amazon. You have to rent it. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but maybe in theaters, I don't know, but I, um, I, I'm streaming it. Okay. Sounds great. Beyond Beyond Utopia. Sounds, it does sound fascinating. I'm going to see. Well, it's an interesting I... title, but it's, 
I guess it has to do with, I guess, them finally getting to South Korea and mm -hmm. not being able to believe their their new life. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So Jennifer, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, this is the Creative Writing Life podcast. So like, tell us about your background. How did you become a writer? Were you like the kind, were you the kid who always was, you know, writing stuff down or did you come to it later in life said, Hey, I've, you know, I really enjoy doing this. I want to do it more. Well, first of all, I have to say, I feel like my glasses are really shining and I'm apologize. I don't know how to stop that. That's okay. Um, anyhow, the answer is that I, I come from I come from a family where writing is very natural to us. I mean, all of us. My parents both wrote in different, you know, different forms. My well, this my mother wrote cookbooks, uh, and garden books. But she had she also wrote a novel. Both of my parents in the 1930s wanted to write the great American novel that would free them to live the creative bohemian life they wanted to live. Didn't succeed. And so my father was a patent attorney until the end of his days. <laughs> but one of my sisters, uh, she writes as well. I mean, it's it's just we were we read we were readers and writers, and it's something. And, and writing to me also clarifies my thinking. I like nothing else. You know, I'm I have dreadful handwriting, so I can't read what I write. But I I my computer is how I think and read and th think and understand it's really important to me so writing is just something i never thought i'd write a novel but i do like to write okay so okay before we get to the the the, the novel part of your life I, I want to kind of like work up to it that i was reading through your bio and i love the line uh that says a decade or so later after uh we're i guess working in uh, fam family therapy and divorce mediation she committed career suicide by becoming a theater <laughs> producer which <laughs> that, that is just a great line in itself so how did you make that transition into working in theater well it was so i mean i I had a profession <laughs> and little, you know, I did it just because I didn't know. I truly, it was a very spontaneous move that wasn't really the best move for me for a lot of reasons, but I'm not somebody who lives with regret. You know, you make a decision, you move forward, you make it mm -hmm. work. And at the time, my young, I have five kids and my youngest at that time was going to be going to a private school in Manhattan. And so we were going to be get. We don't live in Manhattan. We were going to be getting an apartment there, and an opportunity had come to me to be involved in in a show, producing a show. And it's like I always had this fantasy about being in the entertainment business. I mean, it's really. I never got the stardust out of my eyes. I think you know when I was growing up. I don't know. My parents had friends, a couple of friends who were movie stars, and I lived in a very suburban <laughs> kind of neighborhood where people weren't movie stars and I, and I just always had this felt this you know excitement about it so when I had this opportunity I figured that's it I'm going to go in I'm going to jump in I'm going to make it work and I don't think I can do both I don't think I could really immerse myself and learn about it if I don't walk away from what I was doing mm -hmm. okay so, so uh, I oh, Okay. Uh, as, as So here's a, a question that, you know, I think about this a lot. So especially you're always seeing about shows that are in development. So as a producer, what is it you look for in a show that makes you think, this is something I want to be involved with, or this is something I do not want to go anywhere near this? Well, it, over the years, my, my view changed as I became more knowledgeable. 
And, um, you know, if Hugh Jackman's at a show, you're going to make money. <laughs> it's not about it. I mean, it's there's there are very few stars who can sell tickets in theater. Theaters, what I learned over the years is that theaters are a really crappy business. I mean, it's almost impossible to succeed. Mm-hmm. You can a show can run for five. I remember it was 42nd Street. I think it ran for five years on Broadway and never recouped on Broadway. I mean, wow. it's insane. It's a very, very tough business. So as I became more knowledgeable, which I did, you know, I had to learn on the job. Um, I, I learned a show if I, I feel like if the content, there's a couple of shows I've done just because I feel like they have so much value. Even if they don't make it, I want to do it anyhow. One of those was Carolina Change, which I just felt was like mm-hmm. one of the most incredible plays. So, and it didn't succeed, but I, I didn't regret it. But, you know, you learn to know about budget. What are the chances a show has a shot at uh, recoupment? Or and actually, recoupment shouldn't be the goal that's getting to zero. It should be making, you know, being successful, you know, not just creatively, but if you're a producer, you want to not only be financially successful, but if you're carrying other people with you, you know, you're losing other people's money too. So I, you know, I look at the budget and I'm, I don't look at the figures that are given to me. I, I make my own assessment because it's gotten, because people, you know, they offer the ideal scenarios. And I also have to love the show or, or this sounds awful and crass, but I have to think it's going to make money <laughs> and will succeed, which is everyone's. And I've done that and made the wrong call on that too. It's just a tough business. Okay. But, no, I, but I, I totally see that. But there, you know, I may go like, for example, I went to Chicago to see the original production of August Osage County, which was at Steppenwolf. I, and I just loved that show. That was a show I got involved with. And I would have, I, I would have, I think I would have done it no matter what. But when I saw audiences, when you have a chance to see a show that's already up and you see how audiences respond to it, that's also informative. I mean, there's so many things to look at when you're weighing rather to get involved in a show. At the moment, I'm not, It's I'm, I'm really just too involved in my own projects. So I don't know. I, I, I never say never, but at the moment, theater is not top of my list. Okay, I, I totally get that. So if after your experience in theater, you eventually moved on to screenwriting and along with teaching it at the Sarah Lawrence Writing Institute. So what what was the, the inspiration behind that? I mean, that that is totally two t- totally different worlds going from theater <laughs> to screenwriting. Well, it wasn't that I went from one to the other. I did both at the mm-hmm. same time but and it's and it's because i mean this is maybe more information than you want or your or your listeners want to hear but after 9-11 it became much harder to finance a play because mm-hmm. it was there wasn't the same type of uh you know people planning a year in advance to come to new york it was much more week of day of type of thing so the harder it became to finance a show the more producers there were on top of a show i don't know when you were in new york last but if you look at the number of producers who are involved in most shows, there may be 30 people. There may be more. Some of its entities will have two or three people involved. I mean, it's it, so the more producers got involved, the less involvement they had in anything uh, involving the running of the show or you know the marketing of the show. You'd be invited. If you were lucky, you'd be invited to an opening night. Uh, I mean, a uh, day after opening party 
and everybody would be sitting around and either depressed and wanting to kill themselves or <laughs> or putting out the champagne and kind of figuring out what's next. And I mean, they already that you were not a part of it. So as I be, as it became less in any way creative to me, I became more anxious to do things that were creative. So I the first actually the first thing I did in terms of screenwriting is in the 90s, I wrote a screenplay with my son and we produced it. It's called Family Blues. It's still on Amazon. Uh, it's old. And then I kept I kept writing things. And I, I mean, there's something I've just done this year, which I've been working on for like nine years. It was based on a book I optioned. There's a, other books I optioned where I finally, my option uh, wore out. And it was about, it was a story about war. And at the time, it was a really good script, I have to say. But it was, it was at a time, I think the Iraq war, whatever, nobody wanted to, you know, even uh, when, um, oh, I can't think of his name. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, a little embarrassing senior moment, but even the most experienced directors couldn't get a movie done about war themes. Mm. So I've, you know, I've done a bunch of things. I've, I've always, I've got a whole bunch of scripts that I've been working on. And the screenwriting, the screenwriting teaching came to me uh, through an opportunity uh, that a friend of mine invited me onto. I'm no longer with Sarah Lawrence Writing ah. Institute. Um, during COVID, I, I, they, they were able to have students from all over the world, which really gave them an opportunity to have a much broader reach. But for me, it meant much larger classes. And that's just not my style. I'm very workshop style. So I'm, I'm, I do it privately. And it's, I'm almost, I, I think I'm like a script doctor. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, sure, sure. That, 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 that is well, a I very... Help people, well, I help people find their story. And and through teaching, you learn a lot too. I mean, you, you learn from your students as well. Mm -hmm. I love it. I actually really love it. That's great. So, so writing screenplays, it's so different from any other form of writing. I mean, there, you know, there's structure and there's characters and plot and story development. How were you able to help writers? I mean, a lot of writers who come into it, a lot of them have uh, written books before. So they're so used to uh, really going on and on with, you know, with the, the colorful prose or explaining what somebody's thinking or why they're doing it. How were you able to help writers make that adjustment uh, from one uh, form of writing to screenwriting? Well, I mean, that's a great question. It was a challenge I had to face myself. Mm. <laughs> but I think that most of the people who came to me were introduction, you know, beginner screenwriters, and they really just wanted to, they weren't necessarily people who've done things before. Okay. There was one person who came to me who did have that issue where she had written stuff about it. And it, you know, you have to help people, no matter who, no matter, even if they haven't written a book, it, that the, the, the process of learning how to write uh, well, screen dialogue is very different from real life dialogue necessarily. Learning how everything has to be moving the story forward, how it has to be so tight, how nothing is gratuitous, how, how even your, your, your explanations have to be very well honed. I mean, that's a, I think anybody at any level has to do some learning on that part. True, true. So one of the topics you've discussed is how writing fiction, uh, you say it's a team sport. Now, I've always seen writing, it's primarily solitary activity, but ultimately the writer will need a community to take it beyond just having written it. So how do, so how do you say writing fiction is a team sport? 
So sport may be a misnomer. Okay. But but and I want to say that the comment that whatever you're writing is to me the most important for me is character development. You got to know those characters. I live with them a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even well, I'm while I'm writing and before I'm writing. They're just you know that's to me really important. But um, oh, exactly. Can you repeat your question? Oh, because you talk about how, okay, it was not necessarily a team sport, but more like team oh, activity, like writing yeah. fiction. Well, because because part of my, this whole novel that I wrote was done to a large extent. It was, it was I had, I had taken a, a short story writing class just for fun to find out, can, can I write it that way? <laughs> can mm-hmm. I write a 500 word story? And when people said, oh, a book is 60,000 words minimum, I figured, well, that's never going to happen. And I mean, <laughs> I seriously didn't dream that I could write a novel. And uh, But I loved writing the short stories. And I started creating characters in that in that uh, format, which was, it's been m- many years, but there was characters I kind of liked. But with the screenwriting, uh, with the Sarah Lawrence group, there were a bunch of teachers and, and friends that I have where we created a writing group where every summer we do a retreat where we go away for like a week and we write. And when I, if I had something I was working on like a musical or something, I, I would have to devote my time to that. But I started, I found the time to start thinking about, can I put these characters into a story? Is it possible? Uh, the answer is I started doing it, but it would have never, ever, ever happened without COVID because that put me back home. And I had the time to be doing, I, my office was closed. I wasn't commuting. So I was saving time that way. So I had the opportunity to really work at it. But the reason why I call it a village is that my writing group, I would send them drafts. We often during Zoom would write, we would write on Zoom. During COVID, we would write on Zoom and we wouldn't talk or anything. But if one of us had a question about something we're working on, we would talk about it. We would share our work. And it was like, it was it was invaluable to me, invaluable because everybody had every all the people I worked with, or my or my writing group. They all have published books, and they all have different ways of writing. So they were able to offer me thoughts about how to go about this, or to comment on what what wasn't working. I mean, for example, somebody once said, you know, it, it reads too much like a screenplay, you know. And I realized, all right, I got to tone down the dialogue. <laughs> and I got to figure out how to interweave all the narrative stuff that has to be done and bring people. I have to be the camera. Okay. That's how I think of, I have to be that camera. And damn, that was hard. You know, it's, it's was not easy. It wasn't natural for me or easy. And I've gotten much more comfortable with it. Uh, but without my group, I don't, I couldn't have done it. And I also have to say that when I felt like it was as, as far as I could take it, I hired a developmental editor who gave me incredible notes. I mean, unbelievable. I thought I'd faint when I got it. It was like, it was like 2000 notes. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, but it was so spot on. And I, and I only do things if I agree with it, you know, people can give me thoughts, but I just feel like the whole, anybody who writes, who has something published, doesn't just sit alone in a room. You know, you're going to have a, even if you're going to have a developmental editor, if you go through an agent or through a publisher, no matter what, you're going to have other people giving you input and, and helping you shape it. And it, 
And listen, I've re we've read stuff out loud. That makes a big difference. So I just don't think it's somebody alone sitting in a room. No, no, that, no, that's very much uh, the case. I mean, that's that's something I've talked about a lot is that the writer works on it themselves, but then it's up to them to reach out to the, the people in their community to get help or guidance or even advice or like, okay, I've got this done. What, what should I do now? And what's great about, you know, this uh, networking plays a great factor in that as well, that you're able to reach out to people in your community, say, Hey, I could use some help and someone might help you. And then you can return the favor and someone comes, comes back to you and says, Hey, I can you take a look at this and give me some notes. And it's a great exchanging well, of, of work. Yeah. It's very reciprocal. And, you know, having been in theater, you know, and doing and seeing a lot of readings, table readings and stuff, which which is an incredible process for learning what you have. I did that with films, too, mm -hmm. where I would bring together actors and and really even reading your even read a chapter out loud, read it to other people. What you will hear, even what you will hear when you read it out loud, if I read something out loud, I all of a sudden think, oh, my God, no. OK, cut, cut. <laughs> or add, add, whatever. But just hearing something is very valuable. Oh yeah, I've, so, I've heard I've heard that a lot from ta about table reads from screenplays. That because you're the writer, so you have it in your head like how this character says this particular line. But then you give it to an actor, and they read it, and it's something totally different, and maybe it has a completely unexpected effect on the rest of the scene or something. Something pops. You're like, oh, I know. I can't believe I didn't realize that way before. Oh well, listen, actor actors who are smart and who really understand the character. They can give you enormous uh, feedback on their, you know, oh, that doesn't sound right to me. That's false. Or I would never say that. Or they make suggestions that I'm very open to suggestions and notes. I remember somebody who was a student asking me, oh, my gosh, everybody's giving me help in this group. Does this mean it's mine? And I, I <laughs> you know, and it's kind of a fear people may have is if other people give you ideas and suggestions, does that take away from what you're doing? I don't think so. I think it only strengthens it. You don't mm -hmm. you you don't listen to what everybody says. You go crazy, and you, but it has to resonate. You have to feel like, oh, that. For can I give you just a for example? Sure. My you know my I don't want to just uh, monopolize too much, but my, the, my <laughs> developmental my developmental editor had made a suggestion to me on the book, and I, you know I don't know if any of your audience that will read it, and I hope they will, um, but. Uh, there was a the 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 main character Bet, through through whom this story is. Uh, it's not told through her. It's told through seven different points of view. Everybody who's invited to her dinner party that she wakes up one morning and decides to give, and it all happens within the course of twenty four hours. Um, everybody has a connection to her, and she has a you know that it's it's all very interrelated. But she's a widow, and her husband had died a few years ago, and but he's a very important link. And the developmental editor had suggested that I find a way of connecting all the different characters and in their points of view with that dead <laughs> husband. Mm -hmm. And it was such a smart suggestion. You know, I had to then do it. It's not like she did it for me, but the point is that it was such a good way of, of you know, adding kind of richness to it in terms of what he meant to everybody. And, and it was, so anyway, that's how, people can be really helpful to you. 
So when you were working on the uh, developing the story, so that aspect never occurred to you. You just thought, "I'm gonna." He's the the husband's connected to like a couple of people, just not everybody. Well, yes, I didn't have him misconnected, and I also initially ha had a prologue where he was like a ghost, and I had fun with that. But you know, he was dancing around with Ginger <laughs> Rogers, and you know, doing all these crazy things. You know, there oh, there goes uh, there goes Einstein. Hey, <laughs> hey, Al. You know, this really crazy stuff, but. It was, I mean, one of my, somebody that actually the woman who wrote the book that my movie's based on, the current one, she had said to me, she sent me articles on prologues. I mean, you got to really be clear on why you're doing a prologue. And not only that, other people had suggested to me in terms of creating, you know, alternative worlds, so to speak, you've really got to know the rules of it. And, and you know, so while I had fun writing it, um, it you know, I it, I just realized it was a mistake. So, uh, so he was going to be kind of floating around, to some, <laughs> weaving in and out. But instead, I thought this is a much better way to link him. And he wasn't linked with everybody before. I mm -hmm. definitely had to find the links, and that was that was great. It really enriched it. Oh, it, it definitely sounds like you experienced uh, what writers uh, lovingly call killing your darlings. That it, yes. it's it's happened to happen to all of us. Well, if you can't do that, you you can't, you know, it's no point in getting feedback. You can't fall in love with your words yeah, or your characters. Yeah. I got rid of two characters. I mean, you know, I, I'm very good at getting rid of what doesn't, it, well, I don't know that they didn't work, but I was concerned about appropriation, which is such a big mm -hmm. thing these days. You have to be so careful. Mm -hmm. Although I don't, no matter how you write, unless you write about one person only, you're going to be writing from other perspectives. I mean, if you're writing and there's a man in your story or a woman in your story or whatever, you know, you're still, you're not that person. I'm not the person, I, I'm not any of the characters in the book anyway, but they're all bits and pieces of me and everything I know and I've experienced. Well, that's that's a common thing as well, that every character and every story you create, there's a little, there's some aspect of, of them that is a reflection on you. Yeah, and I even have, I have a couple of things that happened that actually when I read some of the reviews and stuff, I have to rethink. If I read the book today, I probably would, wouldn't even know what was going to happen at the end. I kind of forget <laughs> what I've written. But there are a couple of things that happened actually in my life that I've put in there, but they're not autobiographical in the sense that I've just used something. Like, for example, my father had a terrible fall. And that experience of going to, with him to the emergency room and stuff, I worked into this with some with another character, but you know, you, well, that's how all writing is, right? You got to it comes out of your own experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay, so let's talk about uh, your book Alphabet that uh, you've, you've re referenced a couple of times. So what if you can give us kind of like the the thumbnail description of the story and what was the inspiration for it? Well, the the that's the second question is harder to ask the thumbnail would be it's basically a book about a um an old woman 95 an old widow who wakes up one morning and makes a decision to give a dinner party that night for all the people who are who i call her nearest and dearest and a medium <laughs> and nobody knows what that party is about so during the course of the day you meet the seven people seven or eight people who are part of her who are going to be at that dinner party you get to know who they are what their connections are what their issues are where they what who they 
how they matter to the old lady. And throughout it, there's this question as to why, what, what is the function of this party? She hasn't given a party in over five years and when her husband was alive and even then she didn't. So it's, it's, it's almost, there's kind of that undercurrent as to what, what are we, what are we heading for? Are we heading for a seance with the medium coming? What on earth is about to happen? Um, so that's basically the story. There's a, the, she has her daughter, her, her great granddaughter, um, her housekeeper, her night aide, and two of the neighbors are basically the main characters whose stories you get to know. Um, they're all quite different and they all have different issues, but they all have ways of being connected with each other and with the old lady. My inspiration. Hmm. Well, I think, I don't know that I had an inspiration per se. It was an evolution, you know, it kind of evolved. It was from that, you know, taking that little writing course and liking to do it. And then the opportunity come up, came up with COVID where I had the time because it was a very big job. It was very hard to figure out how to, who all, who the characters should be, how to integrate them all. And it's, it was like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was quite hard. Uh, but I love that. I mean, I love a challenge like that. So it was, I, 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 it was totally committed to it. And, but there was no, it was, it was, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I, I find diff I always need projects. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I guess I hope to go, I hope to die that way. And during COVID theater shut down. So my business shut down. I've been working on a musical with um, my uh, lyricist and the director, and there was nothing much we could do with that. And it, it just kind of opened up that window for me. And it became my total focus. Oh, so wait a minute. Oh, there yes. wasn't my total focus. Excuse me. Oh, okay. There was, a, I'm sorry, but there was a little short musical that we, that we filmed during COVID called cockroaches and cologne it's on youtube in a bunch of places okay and it's been, it's been in all sorts of festivals i mean it's really funny we didn't make a it wasn't monetized unfortunately but we did it totally it was all during during covid so it was really interesting the whole thing was done virtually mm -hmm. um so that was something else i did during covid Oh, that's great. That's great. I, I did want to ask because uh, you you mentioned this before that so you you had the story and your developmental editor suggested what if you had this connecting link with the the dead husband. So once you were able to start incorporating that, how long did it take you to I guess make the appropriate changes to the rest of the story? I really can't. Well, not that not that long. Um, I work very quickly when I know what I have to do. Okay. In fact, even with, you know, any kind of writing. I mean, once once I'm clear, I move. Um, so I, I can't give you a time thing, but it once, I mean, her notes when they came to me, really, it took me about a, a couple of weeks to go back to read them. I mean, it felt mm -hmm. very overwhelming, but I was committed to doing it. So when I read it and I started, you know, kind of narrowing it down, I mean, some of them were things like you use the word beautiful, you know, in two different sentences in the same paragraph. Those were the, I love those fixes, mm -hmm. you know, and so there weren't <laughs> a lot. Of, so, I mean, but it was the really the big fixes. And once I was able to kind of get it to a manageable size, then I could work on it quite quickly. But okay. it was, but I had to, I had to just kind of, <laughs> I had to make it manageable for myself. 
Okay, I, I okay, I may have misspoke. I didn't mean like like a specific time frame of how long it took. I guess it was more of like how much of a challenge was it to make all those changes? Where some of them, oh, I uh, this this one's really easy, or this one's going to take a little uh, manipulating of some storylines here. Well, she was helpful to me too in thinking. Well, maybe and maybe with that character, this could be he could maybe be part of that. I mean, she had given me some some guidelines into that, but mm. but once I got hold of the idea. It, it just wasn't that difficult for me to do. It became, I just loved the idea. So I, so I just looked for ways in which to kind of incorporate it into all the different scenes. But, you know, with multiple characters, it's, it's very challenging, um, you know, because you have to constantly be connecting them together. I mean, it's a, I love that type of reading. I mean, uh, Barbara Kingsolver has done some wonderful books that way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as I said, Amor Tolls. Did you, I don't know if you ever read Gentleman in Moscow, A Gentleman in Moscow. I do not believe so. Oh, it's, oh, it's a phenomenal book. He's, I mean, you know, and how, you, you know, they all, everybody, it, it, the process of integrating characters is, it's, it's challenging, but it's also fun. I mean, it's, it makes you work harder. Okay. Um, well, okay. So one of the things we've talked about on this on the show a lot in the past is that uh, when it comes to outlining, you know, before you actually get to the writing, you're you're putting the story together, you're organizing it, you're trying to figure out what happens when, who it happens to, and all that fun stuff. So, are you the type of writer who that you are very meticulous with your outlining? You have to know how things play out, and of course, you know how it's going to end. Or are you the type who just just sits down and says, "I'm going to let the characters take me wherever they need to go." Well, a little bit of both. I, okay. I always feel like showing, because with the one I'm working on now, with the one I'm working on now, well, the one I, the, pre, the alphabet, what I had to do, that was hard. I didn't, I don't know that I outlined it. Somebody I know who's a writing teacher, she'd given me this unbelievable graph of integrating people on how many pages <laughs> this person is, how many words. I mean, I have a lot of trouble. I am much more instinctual. But with the current thing I'm working on, I have a clear idea of all the things I want to happen. And, but, but then I'm just kind of, it's like a list. I don't outline in all of that. It's a list and I'll refer back to it or maybe I won't. It's kind of in my head and it's also subject to change. So I, I kind of let the, I kind of let my characters help me know where to go. It's, it's maybe that sounds weird, but it's just how I, it's how I write. If I'm very clear on my characters and they're, they're in my head all the time. I mean, when I'm going to bed at night, if I'm driving in my car, I, I'm honestly thinking about these people a lot. They live within me. And I mean, authenticity matters so much to me. And, and you know, when I've gotten some reviews which have said the characters seem very real, and I, I mean, that's the ultimate compliment to me. That, that's great. Uh, so have you, you, oh, please go ahead. No, but if you know your characters, you kind of know what's how they're going to handle things. Oh, yeah, that that's true because it does help to really know like where what kind of person they are before you even start working with them. Uh, now that being said, have you ever been working on say a subplot or a storyline, and all of a sudden you you kind of decide this character wouldn't do that; they would do the complete opposite. Totally. I mean, as I say, it, it has to, it's, it's a process. I don't know how else to say it, you know? It's, I don't know that I would actually have something, if I felt like I know people when I'm writing down, I, not my outline, but my list. I'm a list person as to, I have maybe 
25 things I want to have happen in this book. Um, things, some, some of them are going to go away. They are. It isn't that they're necessarily wrong for it, but it maybe it just, I don't know. I, I mean, I have to figure it out as I go along. It's, it's not a very scientific method, but I am not that person who does, you know, big outlines and I, I, I work more from the gut. <laughs> that there's nothing wrong with that as well. Uh, so you talked about you talked about it for yourself and also for the character of that that about family. Now you you say that you know family plays a role in your life and in your work. And you've got five kids. You have fifteen grandchildren. At least the the bio I read that's what it said. So that sounds like not only does it provide for a lot of material, but it also apparently has a huge influence on your work. So can you uh, address that a little bit? Well, it's just it's kind of my starting point. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, it's, I think if I think about anything I've written, it's basically revolved in some way around family. You know, I, you know, families are hard, they're complex. Um, there's always problems. It's not, it's not easy. I mean, my definitely, it's not like I use my family as material so much <laughs> as just my understanding of behavior and characters and also having been a family therapist and having training you know, it's it's something that I think just informs. I I don't know if I had never had that training, if I would have still have kind of the understanding of behavior. I don't think you have to be trained to necessarily have a deep understanding of human behavior for whatever reason. I think I have it. Um, and what you know, what makes people tick. I'm not always right, but um, I I I feel like. In order to be a, a the kind of writer where or I would want to read the work, it's important for the uh, writer to have a very good understanding of people. If it's inauthentic, if I read something, I'm not going to name best-selling authors, but if I read something that feels it's like seeing a movie that's really crappy with um, you know big stars in it and a terribly written uh, script because it doesn't really matter. It's just about their charming stars. I mean, I, I want to I often if I wanted to feel like everything that people do is something that they would do and could do. Um, so I, I have I maybe I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I think I'm pretty good at that. Um, um, and I'm always learning. I mean, there's if people will give me feedback on something I've written and I'll think, God, why didn't I notice that? How did I miss that? <laughs> I mean, it happens a lot. You know, it's like it's it's layer. It's the old onion skin, right? It's la you know, you go through. You do miss things. I I'm not saying I always get it right. I don't. Mm -hmm. Well, it, 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 that's why there's multiple drafts. <laughs> yeah, so you keep finding things and exploring things, and it's it's really pretty. I mean, I I really like it. I'm having fun with this. Oh, that that's the important part is that you're enjoying <laughs> doing it because if you didn't enjoy it, then it would just feel like work, and then it's not fun. No, I wake up and it's all I want to do, which is bad because um, <laughs> there are things, uh, um, um, you know, I have to be a human being within my family as well. Yeah, you're, you're not alone in that. Well, if anybody needs me, I'm there. I think every all my kids know that. 
Okay, that's great. We'll get we'll, we'll, we'll get to the plugs in just a second. Uh, so uh, as we wrap things up, so as a an experienced writer and a former writing instructor and a current uh, private instructor, so what would be like a key piece of advice you would give to any writer, either the ones starting out or the ones uh, with a little more time under their belt? Well, I I think it's I think that whole thing where I said you know it takes a village. I think right you know joining a writing group, having peers whose whose work you know, you, you respect and who's, you know, who can give you feedback that you will, uh, that will be valuable to you. I just think to work in isolation is a mistake. Uh, I mean, more than, and it's also nice. I mean, listen, we'll have, I can have Zoom meetings with my writer friends and nobody will talk for hours. I mean, but it's, it's there. It's having resources. It's having people who are there. And so it's sharing your work, getting feedback and, um, not being too precious about your own words. No, yeah, we've 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 discussed that one a lot on this show as well. That uh, yeah, you 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 can't uh, keep you can't keep it sacred. That you have to again, you have to be willing to kill your darlings and and do what's right for the story, not what's right for the writer. Wait, you know, you can think something you've written is brilliant, and but it's gratuitous to what the story is. So mm -hmm. so you know, it's you have to you have to recognize that. And know that even though you may think it's a funny scene or, you know, whatever it is you think it is, if it doesn't belong in the story, you know, don't humor yourself. No, oh, yeah, trust me, I've, I've gone through that so many times myself with my own scripts. Just I would I would have scenes that I thought were fantastic and I loved it. And I would get feedback and people would say, you know, this this is good, but why is it in here? And then I would have to I would have to you know, put my ego aside and think, OK, you know, why? Why are they saying it? I'm not going to. Uh, just uh, discard what they said just because I don't agree with it. I would say they said it for a reason. And then I would you know, have to put on my editor hat and say, okay, w w does this work in this context? Does this, does it need this scene? Does this scene work? And as much as I would love a scene, you know, rip my heart out to take it, take the scene out. But in the end, uh, although I hated to take the scene out or the sequence out, the, the script was better for it. Well, I have to, I'm just going to say quickly, because I know you're running out of time. No, we're, but there's fine. A, we're fine. There's a movie that I sometimes uh, recommend to people uh, in terms of, uh, a, of a movie that doesn't have, I don't think it has a gratuitous moment in it. And that's a film called uh, The Confirmation. Hmm. And it's with Clive Owen. And it's a, it, there's so many ways you can use that as a teaching tool. Because the, the film opens up with uh you opens up before you've even seen the, the lead character you almost know that he's his condition that he's in trouble because you hear an old truck trying to start and it doesn't start and that's before you see him so that you know the way in which it establishes character without a word of dialogue without even seeing it and then you see him and he hasn't shaved and he's in this beat up old truck and it won't start and it won't start. Do you know how quickly you know this guy that at the end of the movie, he's gotta be in a better place? Well, as 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 we like to see that character arc in play. Yes, I mean, it's a really, it's an interesting movie. And he's he's a kind of a, been a crappy dad. He's divorced and he it's a kind of a father-son movie. But almost the next thing that happens is he meets up with his ex-wife who's about to go away for the weekend and, and he's going to, she, her son's going to take the kid. And she basically says to him, you screw up this weekend. You're not going to see this kid again. 
you know their whole marital history. So when I talk, you know, feeding, finding ways to make back to create backstory that doesn't feel, feel expositional, um, every move in that, I mean, it feels so formulaic, but it, it, if you see this movie, it doesn't feel that way, but there's nothing, there's no extra gravy in that whole movie. And I, I, that's, I mean, I, you can fault the movie because it never deals with the dad's alcoholism, for example, mm. but in terms of movie making and just the, the, the economy of a script, it's a very good movie to watch. Okay, the confirmation with Clive Owen. Okay, sounds and, great. Oh, the kid is amazing. He's just <laughs> amazing. That's great. Okay, well, Jennifer, this has been fantastic and very informative and just an absolute joy to talk to you about all, you. all these amazing Good things call. that you've done. So uh, where can people find out more about you and how can they order your book, Alphabet? Thank you. Well, they can order it from any streaming, uh, online streaming site for books. It's in, it's in paperback, Kindle and Audible. But I have, uh, I have a website that'll also take you to the book. It'll give you some reviews. It'll show you some podcasts, other things that I'm doing. It's called, it's my name, Jennifer Manicharian, all lowercase, no dots, no nothing, <laughs> jennifermanicharian.net. And, and, you know, it's kind of everything I'm doing is on that website. That's great. Are um, you on, are you on any uh, social media platforms as well? Yeah, or just I'm, go to the website? I am. I am, but there's a link to all of them on my website, but I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and I have somebody helping with social media. It's, <laughs> it's about the last thing, the way in which I want to be spending my days. You're not alone in that thought. Believe believe <laughs> you me. All right. Well, Jennifer, I, thank you. I'm going to be writing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, again, it's Jennifer at Manicharian at Je and uh, Jennifer Manicharian.com. Net. .net. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to say the wrong one and send people to the wrong site. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Uh, this is the part of the show where Justin usually says, uh, thanks for listening. If you liked it, uh, leave a comment, a thumbs up. We we appreciate any positive review. Negative reviews, we don't want those at all. Uh, you can check out Justin. His material is online for Amazon. And you can also check out my stuff, uh, my screenwriting blog, MaximumZ.blog. I'm also on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. I'm also on Instagram at Pez Screenwriting, P-E-Z. Screenwriting, yes, those are my initials. Uh, like, he, like I said, uh, Justin's not here, so I'll say bye for him. Thanks to jennifer this is paul thanks I, for listening yes please go ahead oh i want to give you a comment because you asked for comments sure you're a wonderful host because oh. you listen you I, listen well i thank you i i because we want to because this show is all about helping writers and i want to ask people i want to ask our guests the questions that if i were a listener what are the kinds of things that i would want to know and I, what's, I think what's the best part about the show is that every writer we talk to, every creative, they all have their own story. How, you know, what, the, what, how they started, how they got to where they are now, what are they working on, and what, what advice do they give for writers? And everything in between those uh, questions, to me, is just fascinating stuff because every, there's always something to learn from somebody. And mm -hmm. so when we could get the chance to talk to someone with the experiences that you've had, it, it just makes it that much better. Well, thank you. It's My been pleasure. a pleasure. Oh, wonderful. As, uh, as we're starting to say, this has been the Creating Writing Life podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and most importantly, go write something. <laughs>